Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe. I'm your host, Sean T. And today, we're going to be talking about something that makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. And to be quite honest, I don't think a lot of people have even talked about your pelvic floor and all of the things surrounding that. Some of y'all probably don't even know what that is. But today, we have an incredible guest. His name is Lance Frank. Not only is he super intelligent, but he's super nice. He has an incredible smile, and he makes talking about the genital area feel really great. Get ready to trust and believe. This is Sean T, and it's time to trust and believe. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's what's up? What's up? What's How up, are Sean? you? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. All right. I'm going to dive right in. We can, <laughs> okay. we can chat about fun stuff outside of the podcast, but can you tell everyone about you and just dive right into the pelvic floor? Let's get into it. <laughs> sure. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Lance Frank. I'm a, I'm a physical therapist. I live in Atlanta um, and I specialize in pelvic floor disorders. Um, so pelvic floor, as you can imagine, is a group of muscles that lives in the base of your pelvis. So think of a, a trampoline or a hammock. They kind of hold all of the abdominal contents and the pelvic organs kind of in place. And they have responsibilities for urinary dysfunction, or urinary function, bowel function, sexual function, and then just kind of overall supportive roles. So that's kind of my specialty. Everything I tell everyone kind of below the rib cage and above the knees is, is what I specialize in. You mean you don't just say below the belt? I mean, hello. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> just a little joke. So, all right, here's the thing. I want to know what made you want to specialize in the pelvic floor and what was your schooling like? Like how, how was that different than, you know, what maybe other uh, physical therapists would go through? Yeah. So I sort of stumbled into pelvic health. I, you know, I went into PT school thinking that I was going to work with athletes and like high level, you know, athletics. I, like I have a, a sports background, super into ortho and, all through PT school, I, you know, that was my plan. I was going to graduate and work with athletes. And then in, you know, for PT school, you have to do clinical rotations and they're four months long. 
And so for my orthopedic rotation, I had a, an instructor who was a dual. She treated ortho, but she also treated pelvic health. Um, like half of her caseload, eh, most of her caseload was ortho, but she would have random, you know, sporadic pelvic health patients. And she sort of introduced me to the world of pelvic health. And it, it, long story short, after our, my clinical, she offered, she was leaving where we were at together to open up her own clinic. And she offered me a job to come work with her. And she was like, you know, I, I really think that you would be a great therapist. I want you to work with me, but I need you to have a niche. Like you have to have a niche specialty and so that we can market you. Um, and she was like, have you ever considered pelvic health? She's like, there aren't many men that treat pelvic floor. Um, and I was like, absolutely not. Never, ever crossed my mind to treat pelvic floor. But I was like, you know, I'm open to it. So I went and I took my first course in pelvic floor the semester that I was about to graduate. And after that, I was like, whoa, like it just opened up a whole new world. Because in pelvic or in PT school, it's a three-year program. It's a three-year clinical doctorate. And so in my entire program, we had one lecture over pelvic floor dysfunction, and it was mostly pertaining to women around birth, you know, prenatal, postpartum. And that was really all we got. And so I went to this first class and, and when I was about to graduate, this first course, and they were talking about, you know, all the things that can go wrong with your pelvic floor and how they can impact not only women, but also men and, you know, everyone. And so when I learned about it, I was like, holy crap, like <laughs> there's this, there's this whole population of people that isn't having their needs met, particularly men or people with penises. Like, and so I, I kind of went with it. I was like, got really into it. I went down this pelvic health rabbit hole and learned all I could in a very short amount of time and started treating it and it's it makes me use my brain differently than I would in in a typical orthopedic or any other setting kind of just, setting yeah it challenges me in a, in a different way and I, I really enjoy that all right so there are people listening and they may be sitting home or wherever they are and they've been kind of struggling with a pain or issue in their pelvic floor, or they know a friend that's been complaining to them, but they have no idea that somebody likes, <laughs> like you exists, right? And they're just kind of feeling this thing or certain things are happening. So tell us what are some symptoms or some issues that show up in women and men? So I'll preface that question with a statement that I, I tell everyone, you know, just because something is common doesn't mean that it's normal. And, you know, the prime example is, peeing yourself, particularly women, whenever they're, you know, working out, jumping, jump rope, like, I know you do a lot of plyometrics. So I'm sure a lot of your athletes are leak themselves. And it's just kind of a, a something that they kind of keep to themselves. Anyways, so laughing, coughing, sneezing, you know, leaking with any kind of pressure system is not it's very common, but it's not normal. And it's not something that people have to live with. Um, so pelvic pain, pain with ejaculation or orgasm or um, pain with penetration is another big one. A lot of people just kind of suffer silently and think that, you know, everyone has pain with sex or pain with penetration. And that's absolutely, it's very, very common, but it's not normal. Um, and that is one that I see in both genders, you know, whether you're having vaginal intercourse or anal intercourse, 
penetration shouldn't be painful. Um, and so that's one where I always get a lot of raised eyebrows, but again, common does not equal normal. Um, so a lot of pain symptoms, but also things like premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. I work closely with a lot of urologists and proctologists and gastroenterologists, all kinds of doctors that deal with the pelvis. I have a lot of them on speed dial. And if you've been ruled out for any serious medical underlying condition, typically it's, it can be attributed to a musculoskeletal dysfunction or muscles essentially. And that's my specialty. That's what I work on. Doctor physicians don't, you know, a lot of times they'll run a lot of diagnostic tests. They'll prescribe a lot of medications. Um, they'll get you to the person that can help the, can help you. Um, but I'm the one that deals with, you know, the muscle dysfunction aspect of it. Um, and so, yeah, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, um, a lot of conditions like endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome, interstitial cystitis. Um, if a patient has, you know, has prostate cancer and they've had their prostate radiated or removed, um, I deal, I treat a lot of patients that are cancer survivors or have, you know, scar tissue in the pelvis. Um, any kind of pelvic surgery that you've had, scar tissue can really impact the way our muscles, you know, function, especially in a vaginal canal or a rectal canal. Um, it can really impede mobility in general. So I, I treat a lot of that. Peri, you know, peripartum, prenatal, postpartum patients, also people who have delivered babies, whether it's vaginally or through a C-section. Still, I would argue, and I would go, I will go to my grave arguing this, every patient that delivers a baby should be automatically given a prescription to pelvic floor therapy. But it's the standard in Europe and a lot of European countries. You know, you give a baby or you have a baby, your doctor writes you a prescription for six weeks of pelvic floor PT. It's just kind of like the gold standard over there. We're still a little lacking over here in the States. For some reason, we, we, the, a lot of physicians think what we do is witchcraft. <laughs> it's just like voodoo. Not a lot of, yeah, that, that, you don't need that. Just do a bunch of Kegels. And that is absolutely not true. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole list, you know, constipation, fissures, hemorrhoids. Um, I do help with, you know, IBS symptoms, irritable bowel syndrome. If patients have excessive diarrhea or excessive constipation, a lot of times the pelvic floor can be involved in that. I'm not going to say pelvic floor therapy will cure the IBS, but it'll help with help manage the symptoms. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I could, I could talk this whole podcast about diagnoses that I treat. (laughs) No, that's great. But I actually want to actually want to dive into a couple of them pretty intensely. Sure. The first one being women who, you know, pee themselves during exercise. And I'll tell you this, I have heard countless times Women saying, I can't do power jumps without peeing. Or women who were actually working out in my workouts. They're like, oh, my God, I peed myself doing a workout. And, you know, they're all laughing about it. They do share it because they're in a space of other women who've had babies that are doing it. And they, like you said, they just accept it. So that's the f- I'm going to talk about more. But that's the first thing I want to talk about. Why should they not just accept that? And in addition to that, what? is the most common thing that's making that happen. So these people can actually 
you know, go get some physical therapy for it, or at least we can push them in the right direction. I guess I should also say patients, even patients who haven't had a baby, haven't delivered, still have the urinary incontinence with, it's called stress urinary incontinence. You're putting stress on your body and it causes you to leak. Um, But, you know, you don't have to have, you don't have to have a baby to have stress urinary incontinence. In fact, a lot of patients that I see actually haven't had a baby and it's, I can go down a rabbit hole as to why, but essentially the pelvic floor muscles, when you think of pelvic floor dysfunction, you can basically break it down into two groups. So you have a group that's an overactive pelvic floor, meaning that the, the pelvic floor muscles are kind of in a locked up state. They're, they're contracted so tightly that they've lost their ability or they have a decreased ability to relax and lengthen. And then you also have an underactive pelvic floor kind of side of things where those patients typically have a weakened pelvic floor. They're either peri, you know, prenatal postpartum or they're of the menopausal age where just because of hormones or because of the trauma of giving birth, the pelvic floor muscles are in a weakened state. So to further complicate things, even both camps are essentially have a weak pelvic floor. One is so so contracted, so tightly wound that it is, we call it in therapy, we call that weak. Because if you think of doing a bicep curl, if you grab a bite or if you grab a dumbbell and you're trying to do a bicep curl in this position, you're not gonna be able to lift very much weight. You have to go through the full range of motion of your elbow. Your your bicep has to be able to, to contract and relax to move that, that amount of weight. The same principle applies to the pelvic floor. The muscles have to be able to contract and relax to perform their functions. Um, And obviously with the underactive pelvic floor, they've just been through either whether it's hormones or whether it's been through the trauma of of a vaginal delivery, those muscles have to regain their strength. They're, they're what we call, um, they're just underactive. They're just weak. Um, So on that aspect of patients, I do a lot of strengthening on the other side, the overactive camp, we do a lot of down training and learning how to neuromuscular control, connecting your brain with your body and figuring out how to control it. So learning, teaching those patients how to get out of this overactive contracted state and learn how to relax their pelvic floor through different things like different stretches, different breathing techniques, um, a lot of manual techniques that patients can do at home, but also manual techniques that I help with in the clinic. Um, so, but back to your initial question, the, the patients that are, are leaking themselves in your workout classes, it's even though, like I said, it's common, it's not normal. And it's basically with those patients, well, all patients really, it could be, it's attributed to a pressure, a pressure distribution issue. So your pelvic floor responds and is best friends with your diaphragm. Your diaphragm is the muscle that helps us breathe. So whenever you take a big breath in, your diaphragm pulls your lungs down, the lungs inflate, the diaphragm gets pulled down, all of your abdominal contents and everything in your abdominal cavity gets pushed down on top of the pelvic floor. And the pelvic floor- I'm doing this exercise right now, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And if everything is, you know, working appropriately, the pelvic floor should be able to lengthen and to accommodate all of that pressure, all of the things getting pushed down on top of it, like a trampoline or a hammock the pelvic floor should be able to expand to accept all of that pressure. And then when you exhale, the pelvic floor should 
gently contract as the diaphragm rises, the abdominal contents shift upward, the pelvic floor should, should gently contract. So you have this piston mechanism. Everything kind of moves down, moves up and down in sync. What I see in the clinic a lot of times is when that mechanism gets flip-flopped or for whatever reason gets thrown out of whack. And a lot of times the patients that I see have that kind of stuck or contracted or overactive pelvic floor. And so their diaphragm is constantly pushing down on top of this, of this, you know, concrete floor. It's not giving any, it's not giving any room for anything to move. And so whenever patients, whether it's jumping or, you know, laughing, coughing, sneezing, that pressure, all of that air gets pushed down on top of the pelvic floor and that air has to escape some way. So it's either going to escape through your mouth or through your pelvic floor. And a lot of times, nine times out of 10, it escapes through the pelvic floor. So that's where you see things like leaking. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And teaching patients how to breathe, literally, it sounds so silly, but retraining the way that people breathe is has honestly one of the greatest treatment techniques that I have. Because if you can figure out how to redistribute that pressure system so that all of the air is coming out of your mouth and not through the pelvic floor, you know, urinary incontinence is, it's a relatively easy thing to treat once you get that system, you know, figured out. But a lot of times patients have no idea what their pelvic floor is. They have, they've never had to draw their attention to it. They just know that there's genitals down there. And so, a lot of times patients haven't ever had to think about what their pelvic floor is doing every time they jump or laugh or cough or sneeze. And so a lot of, a lot of what I do is just mental awareness and breathing. (laughs) It sounds really simple, but whenever you're, you know, whenever you put it into practice, it's actually kind of hard if you've never drawn your attention to your pelvic floor and what it's doing at any given time. (laughs) Have you ever worked with um, any, vocal coaches because i wonder if it's the same type of breathing because when i when i do vocal training it's it sounds a very similar breathing like a lot of people breathe upward with their chest and i think if they were to breathe correctly it would kind of enhance what you're teaching people to do 100 percent, 100 percent. i um i just had this conversation with a patient this morning i he was also um, um he was an actor and did a lot of voice training and the, the way that I was teaching him to breathe, he was like, this feels very similar to when I was, you know, singing and going through my vocal coaching. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, a lot of what I see, we live in a very high stress, anxious society. And so in a, in a physical manifestation, patients present with a lot of upper chest breathing, you know, fast, rapid breathing that doesn't really get much lower than their chest. Whenever I'm teaching what it's called diaphragmatic breathing, breathing with your diaphragm. Whenever I'm teaching diaphragmatic breathing, I'm, you know, if you imagine your rib cage is an umbrella, I'm teaching patients expand, make your ribs expand from front to back, from side to side. Imagine breathing through a straw and filling up your pelvic bowl full of air. Your, your belly should expand. 
the air should almost be not pushed, but, you know, breathed into your pelvis. And with that increase in pressure into the abdominal cavity, a lot, it's, it's really easy to get that pelvic floor expansion whenever you've been kind of stuck like this for a long time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't work directly with vocal coaches, but I, I had patients in the past, whether it's theater or I had an opera singer once, um, a lot of actors here in Atlanta, it, I, I hear that a lot. It's like whenever I have sang in the past or have been trying to project my voice more, the, a lot of instructors or coaches will, you know, breathe or teach to breathe through the diaphragm. And it's very similar to what I teach. I have to call out this song that was made and it goes, I don't want no men and men. And I'm like, after meeting you, I'm like, why are these singers? I'm not going to call out the singing group. But why are they shading Minutemen? Because premature ejaculation can be helped, right? And so I first want to say, if you're a guy out there and you have premature ejaculation, don't be embarrassed by it. I'm sure Dr. Lance is going to help us check this, uh, talk about this. But can we talk about this? Because this is something that so many men are, they're teased about or they have a lot of... um you know, insecurities about. And I'll tell you, if me and Scott don't have sex for a long time, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I don't know how long you want this to go for. But, you know, and that's that's purely because, but right. I just, you know, for me, it's important. Right. You know, so let's talk about premature ejaculation. Can we please? Yes, yes, please. <laughs> um, so... Premature ejaculation, it it's tricky, right? So a lot of times it's correlated to, you know, sexual performance. So let me back up. I also work closely with a lot of sex therapists, mental health therapists that specialize in sexual health. And so probably my biggest referral sources are urologists and sex therapists. So for men, sex therapists who are seeing a sex therapist a lot of times there's a, there's a psychological aspect to it. There's um, performance anxiety. And if this has been something that you've been dealing with for a while, it's, you're, it's, you're going to have a lot of anxiety surrounding it. But like I said earlier, a lot of my overactive pelvic floor patients have anxiety. They have an overactive pelvic floor. And from the mental health side of things, they have anxiety. They're very stressed. They're likely depressed. Um, not likely. A lot of times are also have depression. So it's that overactive pelvic floor state. So an ejaculation, the way an ejaculation happens is, you know, among other physiological processes, mm -hmm. an ejaculation is sparked by rapid rhythmic contractions of your pelvic floor, particularly the muscles of the penis. Um, and so when those muscles have to contract that fast, it goes back to this bicep analogy. If, if you're on a threshold where if, if 90% is where you live, if a 90% contraction is where you lived and a hundred percent contraction gets you to an orgasm or ejaculation, your threshold to get there doesn't take very long. Whereas if you have an overactive or if you, if you don't have an overactive pelvic floor and you live at around a 30% contraction, which is where people should live 20 to 30%, it doesn't, it takes much longer to get to that 100% full 
muscle contraction buildup. It's a, a very typical clinical presentation of someone with premature ejaculation. They have an overactive pelvic floor and they hold their breath a lot. And as we just talked about, diaphragmatic breathing is very important for pelvic floor muscle relaxation. And so if you're constantly holding your breath and you already have an overactive pelvic floor, it's like a split second to get to, to get an orgasm because as we talked about before, exhaling or holding your breath correlates with a muscle contraction, the contraction phase of, you know, that contract relax. And so a lot of times what I see, I'll ask patients like the next time you have sex, like pay attention to whether or not you're holding your breath. And a lot of times they come back and they're like, yeah, I took like two breaths the entire time we were having sex. And so it, it, yeah, people just like their diaphragms get locked up and their pelvic floors get locked up. And so if an orgasm happens by rapid rhythmic muscle contractions, it, it just, the threshold to get there is a lot, a lot less, I'll say. Um, so for premature ejaculation, among you know other things, a lot of what I teach them is you know, breathe, how to breathe, and how to relax their pelvic floor, and a lot of external and internal techniques to you know release their pelvic floor muscles so they're not constantly in this like chronically held tense state. Um, Can I ask you a question with that yeah. real quick? Because I'm just I'm you know I'm a keep it real kind of guy. So that to me <laughs> seems like the opposite of what you should do. And I'm sure you probably heard this before because think about if you have to hold your pee, one of the things you do is you, you know, clasp, right? But you're saying you should relax. And I think that a lot of people who may cuz I think about like if I'm about to have an orgasm, you think, "Oh, I need to try to hold this in." So how, like, what is the science behind actually, I mean, I know you kind of talked about it, but I want to know a little bit deeper is why now relax that space when you feel like something's going to escape that space. Does that make sense? Are you, and you're still talking about ejaculation? Yeah, I'm talking about ejaculation. Cause like, I mean, I don't know, or I guess maybe the question is, is holding your pee and holding your ejaculation for men the same like is that the same you know because it's i don't know no it's not the same and i guess so that's what makes sense for your ejaculate for the ejaculation it just kind of depends on what your goal is like if you're trying to have an orgasm or if you're trying to ejaculate then yeah like go for it like squeeze your pelvic floor muscles all day long that's going to enhance your orgasm it's going to enhance your the ejaculation it's it if if you're wanting to have an orgasm contracting your pelvic floor isn't a bad thing. However, if we're talking purely about premature ejaculation and wanting to prolong how long or, you know, prolong that ejaculation process, then yeah, I I want you to be relaxing your pelvic floor. I want you to be focusing on breathing. However, when you get to a point where you and your partner are ready to finish, to orgasm, to get off, that's when I'm like, then yeah, you know, start contracting your pelvic floor again. Because an orgasm is triggered by those rhythmic contractions of the pelvic floor. So, but in terms of urination or, you know, going to the bathroom for, well, for both genders, whenever you're peeing, you have an internal urethral sphincter and an external urethral sphincter. 
And so the external urethral sphincter is one that we have voluntary control over. We can actually, you know, do a pelvic floor contraction, you squeeze the pelvic floor and that one, that one can close off. The internal urethral sphincter isn't necessarily one that we have control over, but it works conversely with our, so, so we also have muscle in our bladder. The, we have a, um, it's called smooth muscle in our bladder that whenever we go to the bathroom or whenever we're, whenever we're holding to go to the bathroom, we'll start with, you know, our bladders filled our, it sends, it sends our, sends our brain a signal. That's like, Hey, I need to go to the bathroom, but I'm not ready yet. The, the muscle in our bladder stays relaxed. You know, it has to be able to expand to accommodate all of the, the fluid buildup in there. And the pelvic floor muscles are, the external pelvic floor muscles are contracting. Whenever we actually go to the bathroom, the bladder muscle actually contracts to help push out all the urine and the external and internal urethral sphincters have to relax. However, and I encourage you to try this the next time you really have to pee. What and this goes into another diagnosis called urinary urgency and frequency. Like people have to pee really bad and they need to go right now. Otherwise they're going to pee themselves. This goes into urinary urge incontinence where you like, you have to pee so bad, but you can't hold it. And you just, either, you either leak yourself or you fully pee yourself. Um, but what I teach people and what a lot of, you know, a lot of pelvic floor therapists teach people is to actually relax your pelvic floor whenever you get that urge, because it's kind of like, now, don't get, don't get me wrong. If you have a full bladder, if you've just drank an entire gallon of water, this technique or this, what I'm about to teach you may not necessarily work. It it will help buy you time, but it's not going to, you know, when, when we're... You can't go another hour in a car. Right. However, <laughs> if you just went to the bathroom, which I hear a lot of, you know, urinary urge, urgency, frequency in my clinic anyways. Um, if you've just gone to the bathroom and 20 minutes later, your bladder is like screaming at you that you have to pee again this is when we're do, we do something called bladder retraining where I'm teaching people to relax their pelvic floor so that we can retrain their bladder that you're not in dire need. You're not about to pee yourself. You've still got time. You just emptied your bladder. It's kind of like, and I always tell equate it to like a crying kid in a candy store. If you give, you know, if your kid is screaming at you for a candy bar and you give into it, you're going to teach your kid that crying and throwing a fit and throwing a tantrum is okay because they'll get what they want. That same principle is applied to the bladder. You can retrain your bladder to teach it that we're not, you know, we're not going to die if we don't go to the bathroom right now. You have, you know, you can, we still have some time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
But back to the anatomy of it, whenever I'm teaching patients to relax their pelvic floor, you have that internal urethral sphincter and your external urethral sphincter. And so it's kind of like a floodgate, that external urethral sphincter. It's not going to, you're not just going to completely pee yourself if you relax your pelvic floor because you've got that floodgate that's keeping things closed. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I, and I hear that. What exactly is, what exactly is, I think it makes sense to me, but I want to know what is the floodgate? That internal urethral sphincter. The internal urethral. Okay. Cause I think that mentally, which is, well, I'm happy you also do like you work with the mindset of it. <laughs> I think mentally people automatically assume they they don't know that they have that to rely on. So right. then that that makes them give in to the temper tantrum, if you will. Right. And it's very common. It's it's very common. And it, it's you know, I went to I have a four years of undergrad and, and three years of a of the clinical doctorate in this field. So I know and it makes sense to me, but you know, the common person that doesn't have a similar background, it's completely, you know, it's not ludicrous to think that, you know, if you relax your pelvic floor, I'm just going to pee all over myself, but it's, it's not, it's, it's not that way. And Mm. whenever you contract the pelvic floor muscles, it, it only increases that urgency symptom, that, that frequency symptom, it, it heightened because remember it, if you live at a 90% contraction, it, I'm trying not to get like too much into the science no, of it, but get, like, no, get into the science, the, get into the science. So you've got these neural pathways in your brain in your brain and in your bladder. And, you know, think of like a tree trunk with all of these tree branches and then all of these like little root systems. So these neural pathways in your, in your bladder Whenever your bladder fills, you've got it's basically like four different four different points in your bladder where it's like the first one it's like something's in there but nothing to be worried about. The second one's like mm, something's in there but we're still okay for now. The third one's like something's in here and you pr- probably start looking for a bathroom soon. The fourth one is like you need to go right now or we're gonna pee all over the floor. And so these neural pathways they they kind of correlate to pelvic floor tension as you, as we just talked about, you know, the more your bladder fills, the more it creates this urgency of like, I need to pee right now. And so if you're contracting your pelvic floor, that is telling your brain that you are in a, you know, your nerve, your nervous system is broken down into two different segments. You've got a sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system. One is fight or flight. One is rest and digest. And if you're in a fight or flight mode, you get kind of really tense. You get anxious and your heart, you know, your heart rate increases. Um, If you've ever had to pee really bad and you're nowhere near a bathroom, you probably have felt all of these symptoms of like, just you, you get really tense. Your muscles want to contract. And so it just, this, it's called Bradley's loop, this like neural pathway of like, it's kind of like a hamster wheel. You feel like you have to pee. So you contract your pelvic floor. The pelvic floor tells your brain that it's in a fight or flight state, which reinforces the the bladder. And it's this like loop of just anxiety of stress of feeling like you're about to pee yourself. And so to break that loop, to break that cycle, you know, like I said, you've got the floodgate of your internal urethral sphincter but you've also got your external urethral sphincter. That's your backup. 
And so if you can relax your pelvic floor, knowing that you're not actually going to pee yourself because you've got this other mechanism, if you can relax your pelvic floor and you can take a couple deep breaths, it resets that that neural pathway loop. It's kind of like throwing in a distraction. You're like distracting your brain and it throwing off your bladder and you're like, oh, we're not actually in, in dire need. We're not actually about to pee ourselves. And so whenever I'm teaching bladder retraining to people, a lot of what I'm doing, again, is breathing, teaching them, you know, do a couple diaphragmatic breaths, relax your pelvic floor, and get to a point where these bladder, these urgency symptoms, they come in wavelengths. So if you've ever had to pee really bad, I want you to kind of pay attention to what happened, like what your bladder does. If you don't actually give in to that or that first urgency symptom, the, the, that urgency decreases. And so it comes in these wavelengths. And if you can ride out the waves, these peaks, you're going to get to another valley. You just have to be able to kind of push past that and trust that you're not going to leak or wet yourself. Um, and so being able to correctly breathe, being able to relax your pelvic floor and get to a place where you can safely get to a bathroom, that's part of, that's a lot of what I teach people whenever I'm, whenever they're coming to me for urgency frequency symptoms. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this show. I know I did. This was just part one. So make sure you definitely tune in next week to part two, where we go just a little bit deeper. I know that you are all going to get just a little more education about yourself or maybe about someone you know, and you can possibly help a friend or family member out that um, may need Lance's services or someone like him. So I'll see you next week.